0: Intermittent fasting and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea,
1: a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with beauty counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code clean for all 20 for 20% off their first order beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends. Now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 230
0: of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens.
2: Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I am fabulous. Why are you fabulous? Well, I'm at the beach, but I haven't had a chance to enjoy the beach yet because I've been working so hard getting, trying to move stuff from the house to the condo and the condo to the house. And Lord, it's like like moving. I mean, I'm it's moving. <laughs> I've been working really hard. Oh, I mean, such a good workout. I am, of course, doing it all in the fasted state. And so, yeah, I've used all my muscles. Today I had something funny happened here at the house. I was trying to change a light bulb in the ceiling fixture in the bathroom because I it had like two light bulbs in it, and I noticed one of them was out. And so I was just going around doing things. You know how you unscrew like the little metal. At the bottom of the, the glass dome, you know, and then the glass dome comes off. Then you change the light bulb. Then you put that back on and screw it back together. Yes, I always get scared when I do it. Well, you should be scared because <laughs> today, you know, the beach, everything rusts at the beach. So I was unscrewing, 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 unscrewing. And actually, I wasn't unscrewing the little nut that holds it together. It was unscrewing the entire light fixture. So the whole thing came out of the ceiling. <laughs> It was just dangling there by the wiring. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So long story, I went all around. The people at Lowe's, they were they were great. The guys are like, all right, let's try spraying this stuff on it. So they went over and anyway, they couldn't get it apart. I was just going to buy like a new piece, but apparently you can't just buy a new piece. So they sent me to this hardware store. <laughs> And the guy had like this vice and this equipment and he like managed to unscrew the rusted on screw. And I came back and put it back together. Good job. I know I felt so accomplished and I put in LED light bulbs and they're supposed to last for 10 years. So 10 years from now, I'm just going to call an electrician to come and like put a whole new light fixture in. This light fixture is now abandoned. (laughs) Anyway, I felt so good that I did it. But people are so helpful.
0: I always get scared screwing in the light bulb because you don't know if it's on. So I like screw it in and I hold it really far away. I know I could just unplug the unit, but normally I don't want to do that. So do
2: you know what I'm talking about? Like I hold it really far from my face and I like squint and I screw it in. Yeah, I'm not even worried about screwing in a light bulb to a live fixture because you're not touching the metal part. I'm always scared it's going to pop or something because that's a good question. Maybe that's why I'm
0: scared. (laughs) Maybe it happened once. I wouldn't worry about that. I've definitely had
2: it like pop whilst holding it in my hand and it scares me. Okay. Well, I'm not scared of light bulbs, but I'm now terrorized about like, and and in the other bathroom, the light bulb in there, I can tell it's got two light bulbs and one of them needs to be changed because it's not on. And so I was like, well, let me just try to unscrew the bottom of this one just and see. No, it wouldn't even like turn. So I'm like, forget it. Forget it. All of them are like that everything at the beach gets rusty. I mean, it is just, it is true. It is a different kind of place. Can I make a confession about light bulbs? Sure.
0: In middle school, I think, probably my biggest crush of, what's it called? Like grade school years?
2: Elementary school? Like pre-college. What do you call all of it collectively? K-12. Is there not a word? I mean, I'm not sure what phase you're talking about. Like what part of it? kindergarten through 12th grade, what do you call that? Public school, just K-12. I just would just say K-12. K-12. K-12 means all of that? Yeah, from kindergarten to 12th grade. We usually distinguish it like by what phase of it. You think there'd be
0: one word that means elementary school, middle school, and high school?
2: Yeah, we just usually say K-12. Okay, well. And like I'm a teacher, so I'm like, what What is the word? There's got to be a word. Why am I not thinking of the word either? I don't know. We just would just say K-12. Because we usually just break it down more. You know, we've got undergraduate—that's college—but I don't know. Yeah, but I don't want to break it down. So, like my big, so my biggest
0: crush from that entire K twelve. Yes, <laughs> I've never heard the phrase K twelve. Okay, my my biggest crush from K twelve. I'm just gonna say it. His name was Jordan Watts, and me and my friend Emily Stock. Oh. I don't know if I should say names. I know she listens to this show.
2: I think it's fun to say names. Okay. (laughs) I know she listens to this show. I haven't heard the story yet though, so.
0: Okay, well, I know she listens to this show because she wrote in once and I was like, wait, Emily? (laughs) I was like, is this Emily? So Emily, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. We were obsessed with a boy whose last name was Watts and we called him Lightbulb and we would just call him Lightbulb and like draw light bulbs like... That was the code name for him was light bulb. Yeah, so whenever I hear light bulb, I think of that. Well, that's funny. I think he's married now.
2: Good times. It's been a very light bulb day. I also changed out all the halogen light bulbs in the in the house because Lord, they're hot. Halogen, they're like so hot. Like we had under counter lighting that were halogen, the kind that you stick in with the little pins, and like the plates in the cabinets were were hot because the halogen light bulbs were so hot. So I found these LED replacements that work. Also at Lowe's, Lowe's is amazing. I just wander around Lowe's and ask the people that work there to help me do things and they're great. I'm like, hey, I don't know what to do. I have this. I need something else. Help me. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And they're awesome. They're so helpful.
0: I really recommend the color changing light bulbs. I don't want any colors. That's how I make my whole room like red and pink at
2: night. I just like normal colors. I want it to just be light.
0: But then you can make your whole evening no blue light.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to do all that. It's honestly probably one of the um, best changes I've made in my
0: apartment for my sleep. I've got a
2: lot of rooms in my house. And we go from room to room. That would be a lot. Actually, I just put them in two of my
0: lamps. And so at night, I just turn on those two lamps and they're pink. Okay. And then I turn on my juves.
2: So you're lighting your way with the juve? Uh Uh-huh. It's great. (laughs) I know that all your photos on Instagram are always pink. (laughs) The light is glowing. (laughs) I like the glow. Anyway, I'm like home improvement girl, so I could totally do that. I could do anything. I could put in. You could. Yeah. I support. It's amazing what you do when your husband is not here. Because Chad would have handled all that. (laughs) He would have been the one, like, why is this broken? (laughs) Instead, it was me. I always get really proud of myself when I like fix something that would
0: have been fixed by my dad. And I'm like, oh, look at my new skill. Exactly. We can do it. Because you know, when you're a kid, you're so in awe of how your parents know how to do everything. And then you realize it's just because you acquire these miscellaneous skills over the years. Well, and you
2: know, watching the people that come and work, you know, we're having the work done in our house and the people that work for the companies that are doing these things, I'm like, they don't have a magical skill set. They had to learn how to do it. I'm as smart as them. I can do it. If they can learn how to screw in a light fixture I can learn how to screw in a light fixture although the guy at Lowe's was hilarious the guy in the lighting section I was talking to him about you know how I couldn't get it apart and he's like well I don't know, really know I'm not an electrician I said I think unscrewing this from this nut is not really electrical work <laughs> you know most of it is just finding the parts that go together and putting them together anyway fun times it was it's been fun but I'm I'm ready to be done my friend Michelle is coming to visit me on Thursday so trying to get all the work part done so then we can relax. Very nice. Yeah. So what's up
0: with you? Yesterday I was on Brad Kern's podcast. It's always surreal when I go on those shows. So he he co-authors all of the books with Mark Sisson, like all the Primal Blueprint books and like the Keto Reset Diet and all of those books. And he co-hosts Primal Blueprint podcast with LRES. And I've been on that show, but... I don't know. I feel like it's moments like those where I'm just like, I've come a long way. And the reason I like really feel that is because like, I'm super excited to be on it, but it's not like this huge thing. Like in the past, myself, like 10 years ago would have been freaking out about any of the individual interviews I have now, you know?
2: And it's just like, oh,
0: I'm just showing up.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was just on the radio and I didn't even tell anybody. It's at the point where I'm just doing, you know, it's, it's just so routine. You're not like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be on the radio, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like I'm
0: complacent or that I take it for granted. I don't at all. I just, I realize when I have these moments how far I've come and how the barometer has changed
2: for my goals. This is our job, right? It's our job. Our job is talking to people on different media outlets, right? It's it's, it's it's just making that shift to like, yeah, this is what I do. I talk to people for other people to listen to. And you know, my elementary teachers, all of my K-12 teachers, in fact, to pull out that K-12 again, they knew I was going to do something with talking and here I am. Yeah. Here we are talking for a living. Now the goal is the TV show.
0: So I would like to be at a place in the future where I'm just showing up for my TV show and I'm like, oh... <laughs>
2: Just another day, just another day on your TV show. Yeah, fabulous. I hope you get a TV show. I do not want a TV show, although I do think that cleanish would make a great TV show. I agree. I've never like wanted to be on a TV show, (laughs) but I'm a teacher. You know, I I can I can do it. But I think it would be a great TV show. Like Marie Kondo went around and helped people. You know, say I love you, thank you for serving me to the things they were getting rid of or whatever. (laughs) or it could be a docu-series well that's true but i would like to go into people's homes and help them that's the way i was picturing it see i am more like let me help you figure out your house you know i don't want to do a docu-series that is a big no like an expose on the kind of thing like no no
0: docu-series is it's like a documentary in a tv show format well I, i know i know
2: i know what it is but like where we're talking about the issues like the science behind it is that Yeah, I don't want to do that. See, I'm I'm more like, you know, you can do the docu-series. That's your boat. You go sail on the docu-series boat. I want to help people look at what's under their cabinets. Like, I'm like in the nitty gritty, right? That's me. I'm at the application phase.
0: (laughs) We could do a lot of TV
2: shows between us. We could. You do the, the science part. I mean, I like the science part. I understand the science part, but I don't want that. I don't want to do a docu-series. Well, I really want to do a talk show. That's what I really want to do. Like the podcast now, but but as a talk show.
0: Mm-hmm. Like with like a live studio audience. Oh, I would be so
2: excited. I could see the audience. I feel like I could do that because that's what teaching is.
0: Yeah. Oh, I would just love that. Okay. Can I make a brief announcement? Please do. So last episode, I said that I had only briefly read the Serapete's COVID study. So I actually sat down and read the rest of it. I'm just kind of in shock because this is my first time sitting down and actually reading extensively the literature on seropeptase. It really is a wonder compound. And I'm kind of shocked it hasn't been taken by the pharmaceutical industry and made into a drug. Can they do that though? That's why I'm not sure. This is the way I think that they could. I don't want to put this out to the universe, but I feel like if the pharmaceutical industry finds something that they normally can't make into a drug
2: because there are the rules about... Because it's unpatentable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think what they can do is try to f- make studies to show that it's unsafe as a supplement and then get it regulated that way and then turn it into a drug. There's a conspiracy theory out there that that's what's happening right now with... There's some compound that normally would be a supplement, but now all of a sudden, there are all these studies saying that it's unsafe. What What is it? It's Rob Wolf actually had an episode all about this. It's NAC. So that's something that used to be you could just buy, but now the FDA is turning it into, I think, requiring prescriptions. So I think that's the route that could be taken. It's interesting because the article I was reading about serapeptase and COVID, they're basically proposing that serapeptase be made into a pharmaceutical to help treat COVID and it's published in a clinical journal, a link to it in the show notes, but they go into all the mechanisms of action, all of the different things that it could do, you know, specifically with COVID and inflammation and with the mucus and there are so many things it can do, but then beyond that, just it's anti-inflammatory potential. It's antioxidant potential. And it really doesn't have side effects. I mean, from listeners, the biggest side effect I hear is some people get GI distress from it and It's hard for me to know if it's actually the serapeptase or if it's the brand they're taking. But in any case, I am obviously a huge fan, but now I'm even more of a huge fan. So for listeners, I will be making my own pretty soon. So you can get on the pre-order list and definitely get on the pre-order list because the email list almost has the amount of people that we're going to do for the pre-order. So I anticipate the pre-order is probably going to sell out. So it's going to be a thing where like, when you get the email, you're going to want to jump on it. So you can go to melanieavalon.com slash Peptis, And that's how you get on the email list. Very cool. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free plus special announcement. Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, AKA it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that... When you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there, you probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production, it all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes which are clean, without unnecessary fillers and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely wanna stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other element electrolytes. That's right. You can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash to get your free electrolytes. Shall we jump into everything for today?
2: Yes. And we have some feedback from Annie and her subject is the best NSV, which stands for non-scale victory for anyone who doesn't know that. All right. She says, Dear Jen and Melanie, about a year ago, two different gynecologists told me that I had PCOS because I had various symptoms. They gave me different pills, but I always felt that there was so little information and I started to read a lot about it on my own. When I searched for insulin on the podcast app, I found your podcast in January of 2020. I listened to your then around 200 episodes and started to fast, sometimes only 16 hours, sometimes 40 I always did what felt best for my body at the moment. After some months, I stopped taking the pill since it didn't make me feel good. And since then, my period has been super regular. I haven't missed a month. After a while, I told my best friend who is a medical student that I was fasting, and he has now become more hooked than me, and we've been doing it together ever since. I feel that I'm so incredibly in tune with my body more than I ever was before. I feel better, and I've learned so much during this journey. I always thought that I wanted to email you with a thank you, and today I got the best reason because I was just told by a gynecologist that I do not have PCOS anymore. Since I started, I have not lost any weight, but I don't really need to either, but this feels like the greatest success. All in all, I just wanted to tell you that you are amazing and that I cannot thank you enough. Lots of love to you both from Sweden. And lots of love to you too, Annie. And that is amazing. And PCOS is related to having high levels of insulin. And so it sounds like fasting has lowered your insulin enough to reverse your PCOS, which is incredible. Yeah, that is so fantastic. Thank you so
0: much, Annie, for sharing. And PCOS is one of the conditions that is looked at a lot in the clinical literature with fasting. And this is often found to be the case that it can be reversed. If you'd like to learn more about insulin, I did an interview with Dr. Benjamin Bickman and his book, Why We Get Sick, is so good for understanding insulin. And he talks about PCOS. I mean, he basically thinks that insulin is the cause of PCOS always. I also love that she's sharing it with her her friend who's a medical student. I know.
2: I love that. Yeah. Be nice if Fasting could infiltrate the conventional medical system. I think it's happening. I mean, really, I think that it is slowly but surely making its way. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Shall we go on to our questions?
0: Yes. So we have a question from Laura. The subject is question about increasing body fat percentage. And Laura says, hello, thank you ladies for all that you do to promote intermittent fasting and provide us all with excellent information. You have both been a great support to me and I appreciate your resources and continued education on IF. My question is this, I've been doing IF for about five months, not for weight loss, but it started as a structured way to fast for Lent. I liked it so much. I kept going with IF. I started at 127 pounds plus or minus two pounds. I had the whoosh effect and lost five pounds and a dress size after two to three weeks. I am 5'2 and I now stay around 122 pounds plus or minus two pounds. I love how I look. And as a mother of four busy kids, ages two years to 14, I have more energy and time. I fast for 18, six, most days with a 24 once a week. However, over the past month, although my weight is staying the same, my scale, which also measures body fat percentage is trending upward each week. The body fat percentage increases around 0.3% and the muscle mass is trending down at the same rate. Although I don't have my waist measurements, my honesty pants fit great. My diet has not changed. I eat clean and feel best with a high fat, low carb diet. My activity and sleep have not changed significantly. Any thoughts? Should I try to open my window more and add more protein? Weight training? I'm also 40. Maybe this is age-related. Open to suggestions and ideas. Thanks again for all your efforts, Laura.
2: Well, Laura, thank you for writing in. What I know about those scales, the home versions, is that they tend to be kind of inaccurate and they do a lot of measuring water. And your body is fat. So they, they're not good at really measuring. Because the way they work with bioimpedance, they're like sending an electrical signal through your body. And it, it really can't distinguish between fat and water. So if your honesty pants are still fitting exactly the same, that's a great sign. You know, I don't know that that's, that's really what's happening with your scale. Also try changing the batteries. I had something crazy happening with my scale one time. And I changed the batteries and it fixed it. So I would rely on, like, I would not say, oh, my gosh, I'm gaining fat and losing muscle. I mean, that could be what is happening. I don't know. But I would not just go by the fact that your scale is saying that just because I'm not sure that that's accurate. But, you know, if you really do feel like you're losing muscle, then you need to do muscle building activities. So weight training would be a great thing to do. I don't know that I would have a longer window, but you could certainly increase your protein if you'd like see about that. Really, it's just hard to know if that's what's really happening. So it's hard to say what to do. But if it is happening, then working on building muscle would be a great thing to do. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, you said pretty
0: much the entirety of my thoughts. Those scales, I really wouldn't recommend, especially the ones that you buy that have at home. They're so influenced by water. So even things like you know, how hydrated or dehydrated you are can massively affect it. If you did want to actually measure, I would instead do more of the old school measuring. Like there are formulas online you can do with taking actual measurements, or if you go to a gym, they often can help you out more with that. But basically I thought Jen really nailed it and that it might not be actually happening if it is Either way, it's it's not gonna hurt you to focus on muscle. And especially so age-related muscle loss is a thing. We tend to lose more muscle as we age. So focusing on maintaining or even building it is fantastic. So weight training, resistance training. I'm going to have an episode pretty soon with John Jaquish. He makes the X3 bar system, and I'm very much a fan of that system now. That's resistant bands and his Protocol, you actually, I mean, it's so short. Like you do it a few days a week and it's like 10 minutes. It's made to maximize all of your muscle maintenance, muscle gains with minimum stress. I should remember this after doing the interview, but it works with the range of motion to give all of your muscle the maximum muscle building stimulus without being limited by range of motion. So when that episode comes out, I'd recommend listening to it, but it's going to be a while. But in the meantime, his system is at com slash X3 and the coupon code SAVE50 will get you $50 off. It's kind of nice because I don't think there's anything going on with your scale. I don't know that your scale is accurate, but it's kind of nice that it tunes you into the importance of your muscle because it really can't hurt to focus on muscle. So adding in activities and... Also, adding protein, definitely. I agree with Jen. I wouldn't lengthen the window necessarily, but adding more protein could be a nice thing. Awesome. So we are on the same page there.
2: Very nice.
0: Shall we go on to our next question?
2: Yes. We have a question from Becky, and the subject is question about blood glucose. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I have a question about blood glucose. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have read that part but since I just said that. All right. She says, I started wearing a CGM two weeks ago just out of interest. I'm not diabetic or pre-diabetic and my A1C and glucose levels are normal. However, occasionally throughout the couple of weeks, my blood glucose has dropped into the very low range. This is not during fasting, which I tend to do for 16 to 18 hours per day, but it's usually during my eating window. And I've been trying to pay attention to things, and it doesn't necessarily happen after I eat sugary foods, but more often seems to be after I have carbs. Usually during fasting, my glucose levels are 4.8 to 5.3. Now, is that like an Australian or European? I have no idea what 4.8 to 5.3 is.
0: Yeah. So 3.3, for example, is 60. So 4.7 is 85. So 5.5 is 100. So, normally her fasting glucose is between around 86 ish to upper 90s. Normally it's hers is in the
2: 90s and it dropping to the 50s. To the 50s after she eats. Mm hmm. Okay. So she says, do you know why this big drop happens and or if this is a problem? My thought is that my insulin response is too great and drops my blood sugar too low. And then it takes a bit of time for my glucagon to kick in and bring my sugars up again. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Becky. All right. This is a great question from Becky. So the first thing I would suggest,
0: Becky, is if you have access to it, I would get a glucometer so something where you can check your blood sugar with like on your finger. And I would check the meter to see if the baseline correlates because occasionally the CGM can be off, you know, by 10 points, maybe even more. So I would just do that to check if the baseline is off. It doesn't mean, and we've talked about this before, but if the baseline is off, the precision will be correct. So basically, even if it's off by 10, it'll always be off by the same 10. So check that just so you can figure out. Because it's possible I could see how it would be off and maybe that drop isn't quite as low as you're thinking it is. In any case, regardless, the drop is happening. So (laughs) So the precision is accurate. And yes, this actually is pretty common. I experienced this. So I was wearing a CGM for months, then I took some months off and now I'm wearing one again. I've been wearing one for about three weeks now. So like right now my blood sugar is 90. The pattern I've noticed in me is actually very similar to you, Becky. I have fasted blood sugar. That's good throughout the day. Actually, when I do cryotherapy, it shoots way high up and then it goes down after I eat, I get the same drop like you do. It doesn't go down to the fifties, but it does drop a lot. And then it goes back up again. And I do think it is a basically a hypoglycemic response from over, I don't know if I'm overproducing insulin, but I mean, I guess so. And then finally, you know, it, it raises again when your body makes the, is she doing a low carb diet? She didn't say. She didn't say. So if she was doing a low-carb diet, then it would be probably things like glucagon or the liver producing cortisol to bring back up the blood sugar. If you're eating a high-carb diet, it could just be a matter of the carbs getting shuttled into the cells and then released back and then levels become stable again. So is it a problem? Well, I'm not a doctor. I don't know how much... Of a problem it is. My question to you is: When this happens, do you feel starving and ravenous, or would you not have had
2: any idea this was happening if you hadn't worn a CGM? I wonder if she's shaky because I feel like if if your blood glucose is making you is dropping down and you feel shaky and unwell, that's a problem. She just says it doesn't necessarily happen after I eat
0: sugary foods, but more often seems to be after I have carbs. Okay.
2: Like if she's not feeling shaky, what's so interesting is the fact that we're wearing these CGMs now, people who had no idea what their blood glucose is doing are like, hey, this is what my blood glucose is doing. Is it normal? When really we wouldn't even have had any idea. So maybe that is totally what Becky's has always done. And it's normal. The thing I think is something to be
0: more worried about, because if you're having these drops, but you're not experiencing them as a negative feeling in your body... I personally wouldn't be too concerned. Like I wouldn't be as concerned about the lows. It's more the the super highs that people don't realize are happening. Those are what I think are pretty concerning. Either like, you know, huge massive spikes that they don't realize are happening or baseline high resting blood sugar levels that they don't realize is happening. So I wouldn't stress out too much about it. I would check the CGM. And what you could do is you could play around though and this is like one of the great benefits of having a CGM is you can, you know, figure out what really works for you. So there's no harm in playing around with your food choices and your macros and seeing if you can find a, you know, type of diet or meal or
2: combination where you don't experience that crazy low. Thoughts, Jen? That was it. But also, if, you, if you're if you really concerned, you really do need to check with your doctor just to make sure. We don't know what's really normal for you or what's happening. But feeling good is always a good sign. And it's just interesting that, you know, we wouldn't even know what was happening if we didn't have these devices now. They're fascinating. So I'll put a link in the show
0: notes to the two episodes that I've done on CGMs. One is with Levels and one is with NutriSense. And then if you'd like your own, the links for those are melanieavalon.com slash Levels. Let's you skip their waitlist. They say their waitlist is 115,000. And then melanieavalon.com slash Nutrisense CGM gets you $40 off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon. So you can jump on the CGM train for anybody interested. I heard back from Zoe, and I think I am gonna do the muffins. So they send a um CGM, right? Yes. Oh, does it link to their practice, the app?
2: Yes. You don't see what your numbers are doing. You just see it's the old school, it's not like levels. It automatically sends it, unless it's a new one. Oh, you don't scan anything? No. Oh, so you don't even see the numbers. That's interesting. You don't see the numbers. You just see your wave. Now, I was able to see my numbers because I, I synced it. You, it might, Maybe it's different now, but it was the old style, freestyle Libre, where you actually have a readout. It's like a little device. Oh, not on your phone, not on your app. Oh, interesting. Right. I mean, it might be different now. 'Cause you know, things technology changes. Like I have the levels at my house to do. I'm gonna wait till I get home from the beach and do it in September. They sent it to me to try. Thank you for having them do that. I'm really excited to try it. But it's really different since I had done the Zoe. I'm like, what? I feel like I'm missing. What is this? But you just attach it to yourself, but that's it. And then you scan that. So it's different than that. I'll let you know if it changed. It might have changed, but I, I was able to sync, like you had to then get your little sensor reader and it would like sync with the sensor reader. And then I was able to take the sensor reader and connect it to my computer and then upload it through this third-party system and see what my numbers actually were.
0: You know what made me so excited recently in this whole sphere? What? Did you know they make HBA1C meters? Nope. So I was concerned because I got back my HBA1C and it was two points higher than it's been. And that did not make sense to me. And I was lamenting. <laughs> To my friend, James Clement, who I've had on my show, he wrote a book called The Switch. And he was like, I'll send you a meter. It was like a glucometer, but it tests your HbA1c. It was so exciting. Except the Lancet, to get the blood for it was very intense. It requires more blood. And I was not anticipating the Lancet being so
2: effective. Good luck with the Zoe test because you do have to squeeze out a lot of blood for that one. You have to drip it on this card. Lots of it. That was the worst part. I did not like dripping my blood and like squeezing, squeezing, squeezing to get all the blood out because it has to go up like on a pregnancy test, you know, it has to go up like the liquid. You have to get enough blood that it goes up this little like it.
0: They send the Lancet, right? Yeah, they send you all that. If it's like the Lancet that came with the
2: HB1C meter, I was fine because (laughs) it was very effective. Well, I didn't like it. I didn't like doing that part, but I did it. It was worth it for the data.
0: Worst case scenario, I guess I could go in any lab test now. Do a blood draw. Yep.
2: Awesome. All right. (laughs) Any. Okay. So our next question. All right. We have a question from Rebecca and the subject is fasting insulin number, which should fit in very nicely because it talks about some things we just said. Jen and Melanie, before I jump into my long email, sorry, thank you for making a difference in my life and countless others. I wrote a question last year and you read it in episode 194. Thank you. It was in regards to my HbA1c. Oh, looky there. Oh, wait. I just realized we didn't even say what HbA1c is. I'll say what it is after. Okay. She goes on to say, you mentioned about getting a fasting insulin test done, which I did via walk-in lab this past May. Here's an observation and a question. Since in episode 221, you both talked about glucose and fasting insulin, possibly going hand in hand. Well, after fasting 12 hours, my glucose was 116, but my fasted insulin was 2.5. I can't swing a CGM, so I just have to rely on periodic blood work. Any thoughts on these very far apart numbers? I am 60 years old, 5'10", at 149.03, and an athletic build. My CRP, which indicates inflammation, a diabetes indicator as well, is 0.50, which is great. You two have become best friends in my head and thank you and so sorry for this very long email. Obviously, I am not good at condensing. All right, Rebecca. Well, thank you so much for your question. So,
0: well, first of all, bravo for being interested in all of this and, you know, testing your fasting insulin on your own. That's so cool that she, you know, decided to do this. So, Both blood sugar and insulin, the tests can fluctuate a lot. I think that's one of the things with the CGM that people really realize is just how much blood sugar can fluctuate throughout the day, which can be pretty misleading for people getting blood tests because there are so many factors that could affect your blood test. And so when you go into the doctor, you know, you could get a blood sugar spike for something unrelated to your, you know, overall blood sugar levels and it can make it seem like your blood sugar is either lower or higher than it normally would be. Insulin as well. Like we don't know quite as much about the stats on insulin, but I did ask Dr. Bickman this personally, not from this question but from another question wanting to know about fluctuations in insulin and he was saying that yes, the tests could fluctuate, and they could also be off the same way that blood sugar can be. So I say all that to say it could have been misleading information. It would be nice. I know she said that she can't swing doing it a lot. It would be nice if you could do it again and see if you have that same pattern. Because if you continue to have that pattern, that would be a little bit strange. But this is just my thoughts. I'm not a doctor. This was a fasted test, so 12 hours. It's. Unlikely. So the fact that the the insulin was so low, I feel like that's more a stable reflection of how the insulin is while you're fasting, because it's unlikely that if you were that fasted, that your fasting insulin would just spike up compared to blood sugar, which you could have gotten nervous or had some coffee or exercise or the liver just decided to pump out some more glucose that could easily spike up. So I mean, it's really nice that you had that low insulin number. So what I'm saying is it's very possible that you have low insulin and that you also normally have lower blood sugar, but it just spiked. But again, it's hard to know. So what I would do is I know you aren't able to get a CGM right now. You could get, we mentioned earlier, a glucometer. Those are pretty affordable. And the great thing is they let you check your blood sugar all the time. I mean, it's like unlimited blood sugar tests. You just have to buy the test strip refills. Mm -hmm. Compared to the earlier things we were talking about, about large amounts of blood needed, they're tiny, tiny pricks that are required. I have a Keto Mojo, and it actually measures both ketones and blood sugar. I also have a Bayer blood sugar. So I'll put links in the show notes to both of those. So yeah. So what I would recommend is if you really want to figure out what was going on is since you can't get the CGM right now, get a glucometer if you're open to it and start testing your blood sugar throughout the day just to sort of get a sense. And then next time you check your insulin, see if it is again low. What's really interesting is I was just learning about the HOMA score, there's actually a calculation that you can do, and now I want to go back and look at my lab test and do it, and you could do it for this. But it's a um, a mathematical equation to determine insulin resistance based on your glucose and insulin. Although now having said all of that context about how the numbers can be off, I do wonder about the implications of it if the numbers are off a little bit. So it's the HOMA-IR formula and it's actually fasting glucose times fasting insulin divided by 405. And you want that to be less than two for insulin resistance, ideally like the lower, the better. So Rebecca, so your HOMA IR score is actually 0.71, which is really great. So I, I think, I don't know, I would not be too concerned. If you like, I would do any of the things I said about continuing to monitor, but those are my thoughts. Oh, and then the HBA1C, because we didn't define it, it is a marker of blood sugar levels over three or four months. And that's because the turnover of the red blood cells is about that length. So it shows overall level of glycation of your blood cells from blood sugar in your bloodstream. And I always forget what the numbers I think um, you know what's really interesting, Jen? This made me. I find this fascinating and it, I find it concerning. Did you know that in 20... I don't know when it was. I was just reading a book. They raised the level of HbA1c for diabetes like an entire point. No, I didn't know that. Mm-mm. I just find it concerning that we adjust our standards to a diseased population. Like why? So we have like the standard population, but because of the rise of diabetes and metabolic issues... I just don't know that it's helpful to raise
2: the standard. Well, it's like I was talking to somebody yesterday recording the podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, and she was talking about her fasted insulin levels. She just got her number, and she said that she was told by her doctor that the range from, I can't remember, something under five, I can't remember the number that he said, to 20 was normal. I'm like, well, you know, 20 might be normal, but it's not healthy for insulin. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is, you know, we we have all these. And the, the same with, you know, A1C, like you were just talking about, that they've raised it to be normal and that's not normal.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's very concerning. That's why we love, on here, we've worked with Inside Tracker before. And what they do is they do blood tests, but they look at it by their ideal ranges rather than the conventional
2: ranges, which I think is so, so important. There's so much difference between... 20 and 5, for example, with insulin, you know, like if you got an insulin of 19, that ain't good. You know, it might be normal, but certainly not optimal. Yeah, I don't have it right now, but I think it was that it, I think the A1C had
0: been increased from like 5.5 to 6.5 for diabetes.
2: I wonder what the reasoning is, is that they want to diagnose fewer people officially? I mean, why would they, what would be the motivation for doing that? insurance companies doing it for some reason? Yeah. Like, is it
0: because, because the reason you could say is, oh, well, more people have higher levels. So that's what's normal. So that's the standard, but to change the definition of diabetes, I don't know. I, it's a good question. Yeah. I would like to know why. That would be interesting.
2: So we have a question
0: from Dana the subject is meal timing during eating window and dana says i currently do a 177 daily fasting whenever people say that one i always pause because i feel like it's a like most people don't say
2: 177 <laughs> i don't know why do people just like even numbers <laughs> well what's funny is people do 195 people do 195 or you know all the others so i don't know why 177 wouldn't be a thing If you could do 18.6 or 16.8, you could certainly do 17.7. Or you could even do like 16.5, you
0: know, (laughs) 7.5. Oh, goodness. Well, Dana's doing 17.7. She says, I could easily do with just lunch, 12 to 1 p.m. and dinner at 6 p.m. But I am worried about getting enough protein and fiber in just two meals. So I have a chia seed fiber slash protein shake that I try to get in in addition to lunch and dinner. What is the best timing to have that snack? Midpoint between lunch and dinner? Or is it better to cluster it with either lunch or dinner to maximize the number of hours between
2: meals in the eating window? Now, Dana, I would like to have you define the word better for yourself. There's so many things, like which is better for convenience? You know, what happens in the middle of the afternoon if you have it then? Does it make you hungry after you eat it? Because, like, I know that if I have just something small, random in the middle of, you know, Like let's say I was going to eat two meals one day and then like lunch and then dinner and then I had something small in the middle, it would make me hungrier sooner. So you just have to fit that in where it feels right to you. I'm not going to claim any of them is better. So if it works better to have it with your lunch or with your dinner, do that. If you like having it in the middle of the afternoon, have it then. If it makes you feel weird after you have it, then don't have it then. But if you... You know, if you have it in the middle of the afternoon and you look forward to it and you love it and you feel great after you have it, have it at that time. Yeah, I agree. Well,
0: with me and my digestive issues, I would do for me, for example, what would feel the best digestively. I know she's asking
2: about you know maximizing the hours between meals. I try not to worry about all that because once your window is open, your window is open, your body's digesting food, there's stuff going on, I just figure windows open, windows closed. I I don't want you to really micromanage the window so much and like worried about what's the best thing. I don't know. That's just my brain thinking. I know some people think differently than me and that's all right too. To that point, exactly. Like it's highly unlikely. I mean, depending on what you're eating, but it's
0: highly unlikely in my opinion that you'd be able to eat at 12 and again at six and enter the fasted state in between. So you're not going to be entering the state of turning on the epigenetic changes and the the signaling pathways for the fasted benefits. So there's really no point in trying to achieve that goal. (laughs) Like you can just keep eating in between. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that, oh, I'm in the eating window, so it doesn't even matter if I just keep eating. And what I mean by that to clarify is just because you're not going to hit the fasted
2: state doesn't mean that eating more isn't eating more. That's meaning we're not recommending overeating, right? You know, I could make a case for that it's, you know, quote, better to have it in the middle just after going through Zoe and realizing, you know, it takes your body a while to clear out, you know, the excess glucose, the excess fat, and that having too much in your body at one time, you know, like Marty Kendall even talks about this, you know too much energy in your body at one time. So you want to spread it out a little bit, you know, that having it in the middle of the afternoon, I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah.
0: I think this is definitely, yeah, i I like your answer. Definitely a question where just do what feels right. I think people really, so much of this is self-experimentation and just finding a window that works for you. And that sounds like a cop-out answer, but there's not some perfect solution that and some perfect answer that you're, you know, magically going to find. I think people stress a lot about doing everything right.
2: If that makes sense. Yes. And like, well, there's got to be the best time to have this. But, and you know, there's so many things going on in your body. I mean, like, like I said, when I went through the Zoe testing and understood, you know, like when I spaced my food too close together, I got a lower score because my body hadn't had time to clear out the last one. So, and also the volume makes a difference. Like, I've had a little bit and then later I had a little bit. That's different than having a whole lot and then having more. I mean, it just, the way that you crowd it in together can be a problem if you're having too much.
0: Yeah. I think it's so freeing with fasting and diet as well. I think it's really freeing to, okay, this is my analogy. I have an analogy, Jen. It's like, okay. I feel like it's like a coloring book with like the outlines. So, when you're a kid and you like pick up the coloring book and you're trying to decide which one to color, you find the the picture with the outline that you like and then you just really stick to that outline and then you color it in however way that you want. So, like with the fasting, you can pick a window that you're sticking to and then kind of just trust the process, like trust the outlines and,
2: you know, color within that you can color it however you want yes that makes me think of when I was five I entered ai don't know I guess my parents entered it for me I don't know but I won this coloring contest and I looked back and like my mother kept this this picture is like a Christmas coloring contest and I looked back at it you know years later and I had colored Santa crazy it was like the Santa in his sleigh I didn't use like he didn't have on a red suit when I was done It was crazy. Of course, this was like, what, 1974. So maybe they really appreciated. Maybe I was the only five-year-old who entered. I don't really know. But I certainly did not color it in the standard way. You know, it's so funny. Did we talk about this? We are the same It's just funny how
0: we have like the same stories about... So when I was also around five, I did a coloring contest. But I had just learned... What was that TV show with a guy and he teaches you how to color?
2: That bob or something maybe the painting guy yeah on pbs yeah yeah i don't know i forgot the name of it but yeah i had learned
0: the technique of how to do like progressive shading and so it was like this gymnastic coloring piece and i worked so hard to like perfectly
2: shade it so that it gave the depth to the what is it called what do you wear did you say you were about five yeah See, I didn't do it like that. I just went crazy and colored it all crazy. We like do the same thing, but we're opposites. <laughs> the opposite of it. Yeah. My picture was crazy, but it was like color, color. I mean, I, Santa had green and I mean, it was just, yeah. <laughs> I was not following the rules. I was implementing the
0: technique. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so funny. I won so much stuff. I got to go see like the gymnast, like the collegiate gymnast. And they gave me all this
2: like like swag. Well, I want a tricycle and I was already too old for a tricycle. So I I remember being mad. I was like, I am not a baby. I do not need a tricycle. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Back to the analogy though. The, The point
0: I was trying to make was that like once you pick that outline, the outline is like the fasting window in my analogy. You can color Santa green or you can do a technique. It's okay. But then on top of that, like you might not like how you colored it. Just because there's a boundary doesn't mean that it's going to like work for you. You can still color it however you want, and you can color it a way that you like, or you can color it a way that you don't like. But there's, I think there's a freedom in having that boundary of the fasting window and just kind of trusting that process. Exactly. So, all righty. In any case, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for this show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. There is all of these stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. The show notes for today's episode will have a complete transcript and they will have links to everything that we talked about. That will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 230. And then you can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon, Jenis Jen Stevens, and we are IF Podcast. Awesome. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been wonderful, and I will talk to you next week.
2: All right, talk to you then. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice we're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by
1: Leland Cox. See you next week.